You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday's service now. Well, good morning. You can be seated. And uh, I want to start off by saying again, happy Mother's Day. We are thankful to all the moms around, and maybe, I'm thinking maybe I can help a mom out today. Somebody's Mother's Day is not off to a great start because we have some lost keys uh, that someone lost. And so if you lost some keys, uh, come by the visitor's desk after the service, uh, and hopefully we'll make your day a little bit better. As we open up the Word, I want you to think about how you pray for the people in your life, the loved ones in your life, which seems like an appropriate question on this day. I mean, I, I think we'd all agree no one does more praying around here than the moms. But how do you pray? Moms, how do you pray for your kids and your spouse and the rest of it? How do, how do we pray for our moms? How do we pray for our loved ones and the other people in our life? I spent this week kind of examining my prayers and thinking about how I pray. And here's what I find. I, you know, I pray for things like help with a problem. I got a problem. God help me. Help with making a decision. Show me what to do, God. You know, know people who are sick, and so I pray that they would be healed, that God would heal their sickness. I pray for my kids, you know, and mostly it's like help them avoid bad stuff, help them to be successful, well-rounded people. Pray for the ministry around here. And all, you know, we've got needs. Lord, would you, would you meet our needs and provide, you know? Then I pull on up Facebook and, you know, my neighbors, friends, Brothers, acquaintance, needs help with their MLM or something. I don't know. I can't lie. I don't pray for that. I don't pray for that. But we ask to pray for those type of things a lot. In today's passage, Paul tells us how he prays for the people dear to him. And, and I got to compare it. You know, I got to be honest. As I compared Paul's prayer to my prayers, mine are, my prayers are nothing like his. In comparison, my prayers are so small. What Paul gives us today, this is a big prayer. And it tells me I need to learn to pray like Paul. Because this prayer, what he prays for the Colossians, this prayer is God's will for your life. It is God's will for my life and for their life. It is God's plan for your children. It's his desire for your friends, for your neighbors, for everyone in your life. So this should be our prayer for our church and for one another. Let's open up the Bible to Colossians 1. We're going to start in verse 9 and go through 14. Colossians 9, 1, 9 through 14. Let's read this together. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul starts off saying, this is his constant, consistent prayer for these people. From the time I met you, I heard about you, this is how I've been praying in good times and in bad. This is a prayer for every season in all times. 
And it's a dense prayer. I don't know if you noticed, but y'all, if you try to like diagram, I know y'all, none of y'all diagram sentences. I hope not. But some of us nerds, we try to diagram sentences sometimes. This one, you will run out of paper. You have to tape sheets of paper together, try to diagram all the participles and the gerunds and everything. And the word is theologically dense. I mean, volumes have been written about all the different words in here. So here's what I want us to do. We're going to break this prayer just into six parts. And we're going to examine it this, that way. So the first part, verse 9, he prays that they will be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now, we've got to understand what Paul's talking about here with God's will. He's not, he's not talking about, okay, where are we going to go eat lunch after church? He's not even talking about what we would call bigger decisions. Things like, okay, where, where should I send my kids to school or, or where should I work? He's not even talking about those things. He's talking about God's purpose and plan for all humanity. The reason God created out of nothing. The reason he sent his son into the earth, that for which is his will for all times, all people, all places. He says that that, that will, that they will be filled with it. Now, when we hear filled with knowledge, it's easy to think, okay, there's some things I don't know that I now need to know. I need to learn more. I need to do some studying. I need to find out some new information that maybe I don't have right now. Or maybe I need to ask God, God, would you tell me some, some secret that you haven't told me yet? But we have to understand the context. So Paul is writing to kind of counter some cultural philosophy that they were struggling with. And it was this form of, of Gnosticism. And this, Gnosticism in, in this culture, it Really what Paul is using, doing, he's using their own language against them. Because what this Gnosticism, and it's existed in every age, we have it in our culture. It says what you need, what you need more of, you need more of this secret spiritual knowledge. Now, I don't know if you know this, but I have that secret, secret spiritual knowledge. Those other people who don't agree with me, they just don't get it. They don't have the secret spiritual knowledge. And so maybe you come to me or you do some practices and, and you, you, you get the new knowledge that you didn't have before. And so in that sense, being filled, it's like a balloon being filled with air. You got to add to it something that wasn't already there. But that's not what Paul's talking about. Filled, as Paul uses it, doesn't mean to add something new. It means to be controlled by what's already there. So it means to be influenced, changed by. And we still use that word this way. So I may, I may say, I mean, I'm just filled with gratitude. It means this sense of gratitude. It's so overwhelmed me that it's in complete control of my thoughts and my actions right now. That's what he means. So what Paul is praying, Paul is praying that God's will for God's kingdom will take complete control of your life. That's his prayer. And so I read that and I think, you know, the reason my prayers are too small is because they're too self-focused. They're all about me. God, give me, do for me, my plan and my kingdom and my will. But it seems like someone wrote one time, seek first his kingdom. And then all these other things will be added. And so I think the reality is that if we'll pray this big prayer, that God's will for his kingdom will control our lives, everything else, all these other little things will fall into their proper place and their proper perspective. He tells us this knowledge is spiritual. That means it's, it is from the Holy Spirit. And again, the Gnostics said, no, no, special enlightenment comes either from special teachers or some special practice. Either way, it comes from man. Paul says, no, 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 no. 
Listen, this type of knowledge, you can't read or study your way into it. You can't work your way into it. You aren't smart enough to figure it out. You have to receive it. You have to receive it from him. That's why it's a passive verb. It's given to you. And he says the spirit, it gives us two things. It gives us wisdom and understanding. Understanding this word, it means synthesis. So it's, it's bringing together all of God's revelation, all that he is, all that he teaches us, and it's assembling it in together into a, uh, be able, to being able to comprehend the big picture of who God is. And wisdom is taking that synthesis and putting it into practice in our daily lives. So it's, it's knowing how to think, it's knowing how to feel, it's knowing how to do in our daily life based on who God is, based on what he's doing. And so, the, you know, the way I, I've kind of compared it, you, know, you kind of have the, the small prayers that I've gotten the habit of praying, and you got the big prayer, Paul's big prayer here. So the small prayer would be for specific outcomes, you know. Pray my kids have a good school year. Lord, show me which decision to make. I got A or B. Which, which decision should I do? That's, that's the small prayer. Here, the big prayer, the big prayer is that the Holy Spirit would help us understand the fullness of God and walk in wisdom no matter what comes. Amen. That's what Paul never stops praying. It's the big prayer that serves as the foundation for all the other little prayers in our life. Second part is he asked, he asked God to give to, that they would walk in a manner worthy. Now this word walk, we still kind of use it this way. It's kind of this Old Testament, Testament metaphor for your lifestyle. It's, it's your way of living. It's how you conduct yourself. And this word worthy, it's a weight and measures word. It comes from scales they had. You know, you got the balance scale and you put a pound on one side, you got to put a pound on the other side. And so both sides of the scales have to match. So, y'all, here's what Paul is praying. Put Jesus on one side of the scale. Put your walk, your lifestyle, your living on the other side of the scale. And they need to match. To make it worse, he prays that it, they would please God, be fully pleasing to God. So, everything you do, God could not be more pleased with it. His please dial is all the way up to 11. It can't go any higher with everything you do in your life. Well, you read that and you're like, who can do that? Because men and women, only on the scale, only Jesus can match Jesus. That's it. And lots of people try to have a worthy walk on their own. And listen, you may work hard. You may do better than me. You probably all do better than me. But you don't measure up to Jesus. Even with the best advice, even with the hardest work, even with the best intentions, that scale will always be tilted on your own. But, but everyone who has put their faith in Christ and is indwelt by the Holy Spirit has Jesus in them. Which means in your daily life, Jesus can match Jesus. That's why this, this whole prayer, every verb, every command in the passage, it's either passive or it's either, so, so it's something done to you or it's only the result of something done to you. So none of it comes from you. There are no imperatives. Even walk here, it's not a command. Did you notice that? He says, so as to walk. It's a, it's a result. It's a result of the Holy Spirit filling you with the wisdom and knowledge of God. 
There's a great example of what Paul's talking about here. Just back up one verse in verse 8. Paul praises them for their love in the Spirit. Now, your, your love can be in a lot of things. It can be in your emotions. It can be in your willpower. But Paul praises them for a love that is not from them. He says it's from the Holy Spirit put in you. And so what Paul is praying here is that Christ in you is the only path for a worthy walk. Jesus is not my co-pilot. He is my all in all in every situation. So in my prayers, the, the small prayer that I pray sometimes for a loved one is, you know, Lord, would you, would you provide some assistance? Would you help with this situation? Would you keep them safe? Here, here's the big prayer. Here's the big prayer for the people in our life. Help them have a worthy walk. May the Spirit in them, the Jesus of the Scriptures, be matched with the Jesus in the da their daily life. That's how we pray. And the next part, so everything after this, shows, kind of teases out how do we have a worthy walk. So verse 10, he prays that they would bear fruit. Paul's a masterful teacher. So he's writing to these people. Colossae is in the Lycus Valley. There's a lot of major cities around that he could have written to. Uh, cities like Laodicea, there's Hierapolis. Even Ephesus was a little farther away, but it was a major city. Colossae was a rural town. It was essentially a farming community. It's a, it's a rural town in a very rich and lush agricultural area. So this town would have been surrounded by vineyards and fruit orchards. This area, it was like the fruit basket of the region back then. And so most of these people reading this letter, they, they would have worked these orchards. They would have seen all their work produce real, tangible fruit. And so they would have known. They would have known instinctively that if the unseen parts of a tree are healthy, it will have visible, real-world effects. It would have fruit. And this is another attack on their version of Gnosticism. See, they, they thought the material was evil, the unseen was good. So you may have heard the, the saying, someone is so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. That's these Gnostics. They're not worried about the real practical world. But Paul, Paul prays for visible products of their salvation. So, so think about this. When a tree produces fruit, what is that fruit for? What does that fruit do? Well, fruit can do, it's for one of two things. Number one, it can feed people. It can provide food to other people. It doesn't feed the tree, it feeds others. Number two, it can produce more trees. Because in that fruit is the seeds will fall to the ground and will grow into new trees. So what Paul is praying here, and this is what the New Testament teaches over and over again, when God does a work inside of you, he wants it to bless others. He wants it to produce fruit so that it blesses others and it multiplies out and makes more trees. And that means your salvation is not for yourself only. Did you know that? Your salvation is not only for yourself. It's not just a private internal matter. It's supposed to, do, to produce fruit. And so the spiritual finds its way into the material world through God's people. This is how God's invisible attributes become visible. It is through us and the fruit produced in our lives. And so Jesus' first incarnation was himself, bodily. But for now, until he returns, the church, the people of God, are the incarnation. It is how the invisible is made visible.
And so think about our small prayer, big prayer again. So here's the small pray, prayer that I often pray. God, would you bless them? It's a fine prayer. But here's the big prayer. God, would you use them to bless? Would you use them to bless? Because for that to happen, that means God has blessed them, and then he has produced fruit in them that multiplies the blessing. And that's what Paul prays for them. Next, he prays they'd be they would be strengthened with all power. Now, we're going we're gonna to like this one. Power, yes. Spiritual power. And they even thought back then, the, the Gnostics thought that spiritual power was the key issue. And so they thought the special spiritual power through rituals, through connections with special teachers, and that, that special power, it would protect them, protect them from bad things, and it would lead to material blessings, wealth, or influence. And, don't we think about this the same way sometimes? But Paul, he wants the Colossians to know that he prays regularly that God would impart his power to them. But remember, this is not for selfish aims. It's so that they can have a worthy walk. And again, it's passive. It's not something done to you. You can't do it yourself. But notice how he prays that they would be strengthened. He says, according to God's glorious might. Now imagine this. Imagine if I told you, I'm going to give you some money according to my wealth. Well, congratulations, that'll pay for like half your lunch after church. That's great. But then imagine Elon Musk walks up to you. And Elon Musk says, I'm going to give you some money according to my wealth. Well, we're going to the Cadillac dealership after church, aren't we? Yeah. That's going to be a lot more wealth but because it's according to him. And so Paul prays that, remember, God's might is infinite. But he prays that that's the type of strengthening that his people will have. And that's the type of strengthening we should be praying for. Now, these are exciting words. We, and we think, power according to God's might? I'm going to get so many miracles. This is going to be awesome. But then he prays. He prays that this strengthening, according to God's glorious might, will produce some things that, frankly, are kind of Debbie Downers around here. He prays that it will produce endurance and patience. Endurance, it means to remain under pressure. It has this picture of, of being pushed down but not crushed. You're able, you have the strength to bear up under something. Patience. You know what patience, patience means? Long-suffering. Enduring hard things for a long time. So this is amazing. He's not praying for miracles, signs, and wonders. He is praying for strength to endure. I found an article uh, this week that was very convicting, so I thought I would share it with you. From the Christian Post, it's written by Oscar Amachina, I think is how you say it. But he, he's, a, he's a pastor in the Muslim part of the world where they're very used to suffering and bearing up under hard things. And the title of the article is, Christians Should Ask God for Grace Instead of Signs and Wonders. And in this article, he, he laments that mostly American Christians, we have this constant demand for miracles and wonders. And he writes this. He says, there's a trend in the body of Christ that is not healthy for the spiritual growth of believers. Many these days are seeking miracles, signs, and wonders at the expense of their spiritual growth. 
Paul. Paul was a great instrument in the hand of God. He performed so many notable miracles, but was sick and never got miraculous healing. He cried to God for healing, but God never healed him. Rather, he gave him sufficient grace. Unfortunately, even solid Christians are being deceived because people want a quick fix for their problems through miracles, signs, and wonders. But Jesus went to the cross, and it pleased the Father to crush his only begotten Son for the remission of our sins. It was the will of the Father for him to die the most shameful death for our sake. The only thing God did was to give him sufficient grace and strengthen him through the Spirit to accomplish his mission on earth. When a Christian moves from elementary teachings to start the growth process, all that is needed is no longer the faith to receive miracles, but the sufficient grace to carry his cross in order to obtain his full spiritual maturity. And you know, if you think about it, it actually takes very little faith to receive a quick fix, doesn't it? But it takes supernatural grace to remain in different, difficult circumstances with difficult people for the glory of God. And that's what Paul prays for. So do we pray for an easy life or for endurance and patience? So here's my small prayer. My small prayer, fix it, stop it, protect, protect my kids from hard things. Here's the big prayer. Oh, Lord, would you strengthen us with your power so we can endure for your glory? That's the big prayer from Paul. And next, he says that they, they would do this giving thanks. In fact, some of your translations may say joyfully giving thanks, that in the midst of this whole process, we are filled with this joyful gratitude. You know, I have to say, I often pray, I often say thanks when I pray. But in my small prayer, I, I'm usually thankful for the what's, the what's in my life, the, the things God has done for me. You know, he helped me. He provides for me. We pray for the meal. God, thank, thank you for this food. Thank you for the what. But Paul isn't thankful for the what. He's thankful for the who. He says, giving thanks to the Father who. The big prayer is thank you for you, God. And then what flows next in these next few verses is it's the foundation that everything else is built on. Because in verse 12 through 14, he says the only way any of this is possible is because of the who, because of who God is. It's because of our great God. And he says God has done three things that none of us could do on our own. And all of the, each and every one of these three things is in what we call the aorist tense, which means it's settled. It's a done deal. It happened in the past but it has effects that are ongoing and eternal. And they're all passive. Meaning, yeah, yeah, it's done, but you didn't do it. He did it. The first thing he did was qualify you for his inheritance. So he's going to use some what would have been buzzwords to a Jewish audience. Qualify, saints, inheritance. Paul is taking language straight out of the Old Testament for when God chose his people. And he says, I have qualified you. That means he has made you sufficient. So if you sit down for, in an interview with God to apply for a position in his kingdom, he's going to look at your resume and he's going to say, you have every qualification, every certification that is required. You are qualified. Now, think about the Old Testament. 
what qualified the Jews to be called God's people? His choice. That's it. God's clear about that. It's all grace. God chose them. And that's why all throughout the Bible, it is put in the term of an inheritance. What do you do to qualify for an inheritance? You can't buy an inheritance. You can't earn it. The only thing that qualifies you for an inheritance is your relationship to the giver. That's it. And so he's saying, God chose you to have a relationship with him. And because of that, you're qualified for the inheritance. The second thing he did for us all is he delivered us. Men and women, you can and you should understand God's work in your life as a rescue. Jesus swooped in and he rescued you from slavery, from which you could not rescue yourself. And again, he's ripping language right out of the Old Testament. I encourage you this week, go read Exodus chapter 6, especially verse 6 through 8. Read that right along Colossians 1, 9 through 14. Now, what's the Exodus? It is the, the great rescue event of the Old Testament. And this great rescue event, it became the pattern so to help us recognize Jesus' work. Great theologian John Stott said it this way. Christianity is a rescue religion. It declares that God has taken the initiative in Jesus Christ to rescue us from our sins. This is the main theme of the Bible. And then, like any good theologian, he backs that claim up with Scripture. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Now, what did he rescue us from? Paul tells us, he says, from the domain of darkness. A domain, it, it's a power, it's an authority, it's a control. And so you were under the power, the authority, control of darkness. Not from Pharaoh, not from a political party, but from the realm of sin and evil. See, we misunderstand our problem sometimes. Our problem is not that we commit some sins here and there. We make some mistakes here and there. Our problem is that we are under the power and the control of sin. Think about it. All of us, all of us do things that hurt ourselves and hurt the others in our life. All of us can't seem to be the good person that we want to be. And so if there's harmful things that we don't want to do, why do we all do them? If we all want to be good, then why can't we? Because we are imprisoned by the domain of darkness. We like to think we are in control, but men and women, we are not. But Jesus, he's our Jack Bauer. Y'all ever seen 24? I mean, every episode the same. Terrorists hold somebody hostage. Nobody can do anything about it. But Jack Bauer shows up, and it's like all the terrorists just melt away. By the, by the end, I don't know why the terrorists didn't just give up on the spot. He, he rescues us. But what, what's most amazing, men and women, it's not what he rescues us from. It's where he takes us. It's what he takes us to. He says he has transferred us. That means he's moved us to a new place. And what is this new place? The kingdom of his son. Now, a kingdom is like a domain. 
It's a place where a king has power and authority and control. So you've been moved from a place where darkness has power and control to a place where God has all power and all control. And that kingdom, he says, is in his beloved son. Now that word beloved is on purpose. He is quoting the words of the father spoken to the son at Jesus' baptism. The father saying, Jesus is the object of all of my affection. He is my beloved son. And then the next two words might be the most important words in the whole passage. In whom? In this beloved son. So everything that he's done, those three things, all of it is in the beloved son. Our qualification, our inheritance, our deliverance. It's not in a place or in an event. It is in a person. Which means this transfer was more like an adoption. You didn't move, move location. God put you in Christ. He put you in the beloved son. He put you in a person. Your life has been hidden in Christ. And so that means, that means if you've placed your faith in Jesus, not only do you have all you need, not only do you have something really good, you have all there is. Everything that is the son's is now yours because it's his inheritance. We don't have an inheritance. The son does, and we are in him. And so he described it this way. He says, in the son, we have two things. We have, number one, redemption. This word, it means buying a slave for the specific purpose of setting them free. See, back then, you could have bought a slave just to enslave them yourself. That's not what this word is. This is a different word. It is a ransom for the purpose of release. In Christ, in him, you're set free from that domain of darkness. And you have forgiveness. It means no more debt or obligation. Nothing is held against you. In Christ, not only are you released from the power of Satan and sin, nothing has held against you. You're completely clean, white as snow, just like the sun. So maybe you've been following the Lord for a long time. Maybe you've been in church. Maybe you've believed in God. And so maybe you've seen yourself as a person who will go to heaven when you die. Or you see uh, yourself as maybe someone who God has decided to overlook some mistakes and some sin. Or maybe you see yourself as a blessed person, someone that God has done a lot of, been really nice to, done a lot of good things for. But have you ever seen yourself as a person who has been delivered from your hopeless imprisonment and adopted into his kingdom as a beloved son? Because that's the gospel. You know, I had to come to terms this week that the reason my prayers are too small is because my view of what Jesus has done is too small. He's rescued me. He's adopted me as his son. And when we learn, men and women, when we learn to see God, ourselves as God sees us in his son, I'm convinced it'll change our prayer life. We will begin to pray like Paul prays, Lord, by the power of your spirit, help me grasp who you are and what you've done. Let me walk worthy of it. Let these truths produce fruit in my life. Give me endurance. Give me patience. Give me joy, God, because you are worth it. You and your beloved son. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you have questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.